Web3 with me is a discussion style show where creators, marketers, entrepreneurs, and investors share how they are solving the core problem plaguing Web3, perception. The perception problem is preventing mass adoption. It is narrative, framing, and terminology, and it's inhibiting onboarding, engagement, and retention of users and customers. Web3 currently requires a level of technical understanding and responsibility due to a lack of protections that the masses do not currently desire. Web3 with me will provide insights for Web3 native companies and others considering a Web3 strategy to tackle that perception problem. My guest today is Simon Yi, founder of Myasin.xyz, a global network of marketers building marketing tools that accelerate the direct to community movement. Simon is what we would call an OG. He started as head of growth at Consensus Mesh in 2020, where he helped grow staple brands like Chainlink and Filecoin. He is the most experienced growth marketer we've ever had on the show. While numbers are a massive part of Simon's expertise, as you can tell from the beginning of the episode, he doesn't hesitate to do some deeper philosophical thinking about the unique value offered by blockchain. LFG, baby, let's start vibing. Zach French is a bar certified attorney and nothing expressed by Zach during Web3 with me shall be considered legal advice. All the opinions expressed by Zach and his guests are solely their own opinions. All content in Web3 with me is for informational purposes only. Zach and his podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed during Web3 with me. Welcome to the show, Simon. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I know Diana Richter uh, introduced us um, her whole community that I have been had the pleasure of starting to meet ever since she came on the show has been so pleasant, including you with our uh, pre-recording talk. I appreciate it. Um, you know, the typical way that I start these shows is I want my audience to get to know my guests, like who they are, what makes Simon Simon. Uh, I call it your founding story. So feel free to uh, start wherever you'd like. Yeah, for sure. Um, and thanks for this uh, platform. It, it means a lot. Um so yeah, I mean, I would say that my journey into Web3 actually happened much earlier than I thought it would. And obviously, if you look at my professional background, formally, I joined Web3 as an industry two years ago uh, through Consensus Mesh. But I think my journey into cooperative economics, which is the sector within Web3 that I care about and I work in daily, really started, in, I think, in college. You know, my, my interest in economics was always a thing. Uh, and as a young college graduate, you know, I think it was uh, appropriate for me to try out the whole finance management consulting thing, which I did. It's amazing. Um, and I, I saw myself at a crossroads where, you know, I, I really didn't fully align with what my experience was, you know, or, or maybe my expectations uh, and recognize that it was way more creative, which ended up being a lot of on, entrepreneurial kind of tendencies. Um, and that's what made me jump from finance and traditional management consulting into something more creative through the lens of social media. So, you know, for the last 12 years, I've been a growth hacker is what you call me, what people call me, um, very quantitative marketer. I leverage the, the number side of me to, to paint a story and really just to understand people. Um, and finally decided to apply that thinking towards, you know, I think, which is a giant experiment, which is, um, cooperative economics. So that's a little bit about me in a, in a nutshell. Um, yeah. 
That's cool. I've never, I mean, as I, as I describe it, I always say groups of people or collectives with shared values coming together to make group decisions on how to raise and deploy capital. But yeah. cooperative economics is a much shorter way to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've tried to say DAO, and I think that either I get eyebrows raising, like, oh, yeah, yeah, another DAO yeah. guy, or just a complete blank uh, stare. So, you know, this is a third attempt. Have you put pen to paper on this? Is there like a theory or way that you like to talk about cooperative economics that you want to share? I'm still, I mean, I'm still borrowing from the best and brightest in the industry and something that you know, I think Jess, Steph, uh, and a few, and Nicole and a few others on the seed club team kind of point to this, which is internet native organizations. You know, my interpretation of that is, um, it is a shared online community with a financial incentive to work together, which makes it serious and creates a real, either a real pain point or a real opportunity depending on how aligned the online community is, both in structure and in vision. So yeah, internet native organization feels a little bit inhumane because it's so descriptive of the technology, but what it unlocks is truly a global community. And I've been able to feel that myself the last, I'd say 15 months. Nice. Yeah. So like, what are some of the, I guess on both sides of the coin, obviously there's some some great things that can be achieved. And I'd love to talk about those. What are some of the pain points that you've seen when communities aren't built the right way or aren't aligned in their values or incentives? Yeah, totally. I think the easy thing, finger to point at for DAOs, you know, especially given the larger DeFi oriented DAOs um, is that it's very difficult to govern with masses. Um, there's just a lot of chaos that ends up happening um, for us, we saw that we're for Blake and I and Sean were fortunate enough to see that early, um, and really wanted to focus on 150 people or less because of the Dunbar's law, which states that after, you know, 150 people, you can't get to know people personally. Um, and given the fact that most of these folks probably won't meet in real life over a long period of time, um, it's important to build a relationship with a moniker or a PFP. <laughs> You know, there's there's still something personal about that. So um, we kept it intimate for sure. Um, but getting to your question on like, what are some real difficulties in DAOs? I think what I've realized is like, for me as a core operator, I know everybody. You know, I've touched um, their onboarding process and made myself available. And obviously I'm one of the more vocal people on Discord, Twitter, et cetera. But my vantage point isn't necessarily the same as someone who's entering the DAO, right? They just see what they interact with. And obviously it's the new kid in town who feels a little bit awkward, potentially may not know where to fit in. Like, what are the clicks here? How do I differentiate myself, et cetera? And I realized that that's a big part of my job and Blake's job um, to welcome an environment where people feel comfortable with being themselves. Um, which is to say, you know, currently we're working on that. You know, we don't have the the playbook completely, but we're obviously improving month over month and um, our retention rate shows for that. But it is, none of us really know, right? Is how, how do you run a cooperative globally over, uh, over the internet and sustain that long-term um, kind of cooperative game, right? Yeah. 
Super interesting. I mean, I think about, um, you know, the original, like most proliferated communities uh, in the space where these PFP communities, right? Um, you know, I think maybe before that you would have seen like the nifty gateway discord, but obviously that was a little bit chaotic. I don't think that was ever intended to be like a nifty gateway, like communal, like outpouring. But when you started to see the PFP communities, it was, there was a lot of financialized discussions, right? Obviously, because, you know, when number go up, people get excited. Um, but you also saw kind of the vulnerable side in some of the communities where people would kind of talk about their days and like other community members would kind of pick them up. Now that has matured quite a bit. Um, as you see companies like, or, uh, communities like Myosin, like jump, like Safari, like these communities that are built around like a common professional values in a way, like, or a common professional goal. And then you see communities like Zen Academy where it's kind of like it's massive it's obviously way past dunbar's number but there's like little pockets that you can go and kind of assert yourself in which kind of gives everybody their ability to kind of build their identity but that all of that to say when you first get in there that's a great analogy to think about is like you're the new kid at school and like so there's an introduce yourself channel and some of the more advanced communities like yours might say we actually want to interview you and talk to you before you get in but yep. the next steps to keep able to, to keep people engaged are the big mystery now, because once the honeymoon phase is over of like, I'm so excited to be here. Hey, everybody, da, 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 da. you're so interested in me because I'm new. Then it's like, right. OK, where do I settle in and how do I settle in in a way? I mean, yeah. just personalizing it a little bit like I've never been able to clearly communicate on Discord as much as I can like this. Right. Yeah. You hop on a, first thing I do, I'm like, hop on a video call, like web three video call. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> cameras off, cameras off, yeah, cameras off, cameras off. I mean, I, I've only had one anonymous guest so far, uh, okay. but it, it, it is, it's an interesting thing because it is, there is that core tenet of pseudonym, pseudonymity, anonymity, but yeah. how do you truly build connections that way? I think there's, there's two sides of it. One is, without knowing what a person looks like, what they sound like and where they live, then there's no biases that you immediately put up, whether you know it or not, unconscious, conscious biases, um, which makes meeting in person particularly special. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. The, yeah. It's, the, it's a, it's a euphoric feeling. For sure. It is to go and hug somebody that you've had multiple conversations with, uh, purely on typing sometimes. And then to be like, you're, you know, this person, right? Or this pseudonym? And you're like, yeah, yeah. big hug. That was yeah. the feeling I got at NFT NYC last year, at least. Very cool, very cool. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, I guess, you know, you're kind of going learning as you go. What are kind yeah. of your methods for learning? Do you guys just have kind of like communal recaps uh, as you go along? You take, obviously you're a numbers guy. You're probably looking at some sort of retention metrics and stuff like that. What is the other kind of stuff that helps you learn? Yeah, for sure. The core team um, really looks at, I would say, three main things, which is, you know, how engaged are members into individual guilds? Um, and I'm happy to boast that about 80% of the members who enter, you know, we, it's just, the community is small, it's 60 people, um, but 80% of the 60% participate in some sort of skills-based guild, which makes the the onboarding experience, it's kind of like a homeroom. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, you know, four or five people, maybe six people instead of, 
60. Um, so that's good. Um, obviously the size of where we're at is, is helpful for retention rate, right? We'd have a much different problem if our retention rates 90% on 60 people, like that's just like not community market fit. Um, I'd, I'd say the second piece is making sure, you know, as a commercial service cooperative, right? We're not, this is not a, a philosophical experiment. It, it is a operating for-profit business. Um, we want to make sure that every member is paid uh, and as much as possible paid evenly. Um, and there's as much of a transparent decentralized process for, um, you know, getting staffed on project, but I, on projects, but I think more importantly, um, selecting the, the projects that people want to opt into, because that's a big thing that's missing currently with agency life, uh, is that you're kind of told what to do and you may not actually be jazzed about the brand that you're supporting, which is like the, the recipe for poor work, um, I would say. And then, you know, last but not least, you know, as a DAO, we, we set our sights on decentralizing to other co-members or I'm sorry, other, other co-owners. Um, and it obviously starts with the founders. Um, and we have six other members in the governance guild, but that needs to either rotate out or have some different checks and balances over time. So that's more of a feeler. It's less of a number, but we're very cognizant of kind of our birth ground and kind of the why behind all this stuff. And it's a, you know, it's, it's a process for sure. It sounds like it. I mean, there's, yeah, I think quantitative data is what speaks to numbers the most and ROI and things like that. But there is a qualitative aspect. Um, now, luckily from a qualitative standpoint, you, you can operate with much lower uh, initial participants, right? You can get statistically yep. significant data with maybe five, 10 participants. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's great. So it sounds like you're taking that into account. It's like, all right, guys, how are you feeling? Just tell me a little bit about what you think here, just gathering more of the raw feedback rather than the, how many you know times have you checked into the guild? How much have you actually yeah. checked in Discord and that kind of stuff? I'd say the big thing actually worth mentioning is that once a member is working on a client project, there's two forms of, I'd say, feedback that other members are giving. Okay. Um, every month we use a coordinate vote, which is about a 20% bonus that a member is eligible for each month as and the way that coordinate votes are worked, it's, you know, let's say you, me, and a third person each have a hundred give token. We just allocate for ourselves and other people. And it's just like a straight at a straight percentage off of 300 token give tokens. And so we've seen some initial, you know, uncomfortable conversations become coaching or, you know, frank discussions around the way that we work. And then at the end of the project, there's an NPS that basically asks like, would you work with this member again? And so based on those data points, we're able to identify, hey, like this kind of person is an expert at what they do, but not the best for client projects. How do we kind of deputize them? Or it could be as simple as like, hey, wrong intentions here or different intentions doesn't fit our community. We need to sunset this on a on a day-to-day relationship. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's important to, keep the temperature check and obviously make sure that everyone has an input into who um, is part of the community. 
I just see this like as as you grow, I see this kind of beautiful dot matrix filling out. Like almost like um, I don't know if you follow like Ray Dalio and the Bridgewater or what they do over there in terms of like just completely open and honest discourse, videotaping every meeting, everybody rating you as you go. Um, yeah. I think to to some that might not work, but I just I don't know when you talk. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Does that resonate with you at all? Yeah, totally. Radical transparency. I think there's still um, you know we're people and we're more emotional than we are rational. So I think. There are some parts of Ray Dalio's point of view that's a little bit, it it's just awkward. Um, I don't know how to describe it, but, you know, I think being transparent about the right things that are, I think cultivating that sense of community is important. So for us, like, you want to praise publicly within the, the community, but not necessarily give critical feedback publicly. Like, that's never fun. And you create a, a hostile environment. And I think that's where somewhere like a um, Bridgewater may fail is that they don't think about the human emotional aspect of, of things. Luckily, we're marketers, so we have that feeler. Yeah, that I was going to say marketers versus investors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're like we're like a hedge fund, but we feel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then we help you sell stuff. Uh, there you go. So we'll, so yeah, I think we have an advantage there as far as like making sure the temperature check is there. You know, I just realized we have gone on this tangent of describing your inner workings and your philosophies, but you haven't given the audience kind of like the overview. I'd love, let's take a step back. Let's let's talk about the myosin stack, if you will, um, yeah, totally. what it was born out of and then where you are right now. And that might give people some context as to like all this other stuff that you're illuminating. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I joined Consensus Mesh, uh, which is the largest accelerator and incubator in Ethereum about two years ago. was lucky enough uh, to work along my colleagues, uh, Sean, Prashant, and of course, Gabriel Anderson. And we advised 40, about 40 startups across the entire landscape, DAO tooling, NFT platforms, you know, emerging use cases for uh, different technology like chain link and for um, filecoin and i think the thing that stuck out for me from that experience was um what does a public ledger actually enable as far as trust the the initial kind of use cases have been you know circling around internet money and um how to replicate you know this this way of like uh earning an income online um i, I guess like digitally i guess but the thing that stuck out for me is like, as a former agency owner, as someone who's worked at very different um, startups as far as operating models, I was like, wait a second, that transparency is what a lot of people about my age really want, which is how things like, how is the company doing? What does the balance sheet look like? Um, sometimes even like who wants, who gets paid what, uh, which creates kind of important equitable related questions to be answered. Um, and that's what a block, public blockchain does, right? If you look at our community treasury, there's about 150K sitting in there right now. Um, and members see how we spend our money, um, including how we earn it, and then also how we allocate for members and then ultimately spend it. So for us, you know, that builds a lot of trust, I think, and brings a more um, long term view to who decides to join and sees the vision. 
and buys into that mission of myosin. And, and so far we've been right on that hypothesis. That's awesome. So you, you saw the ability for the blockchain to meet what you would consider a, a need, a, a point of friction in the agency world. And so you say, I'm going to start a decentralized agency service provider. Um, what's the, what are the next steps? Uh, I think the first thing that Blake and I did was um, get to a point of minimum viable community. So in order to get there, you have to articulate what are your mission, vision, values? How do you get that message out, et cetera? So that was the white paper that I wrote and you know Blake and Sean helped edit uh, the three co-founders. And then we went to market with it. And what we found is that there were a lot of people who were interested, but the quality wasn't necessarily there. So we had to establish a, a quality control and then onboarding process and all these things. Um, but at the core of it is just finding like-minded, like-minded co-owners who are able to operate at the cal- caliber that we want to operate in, uh, which is the top 2% of marketers in the world. I, I'd say this is a uh, credit to kudos to Blake, my co-founder, but early on he was kind of talking about villages and towns. Um, and then kind of, um, the reason for tapping back into that. And so our villages are villages of skills. And there's t- 10 different skills-based guilds. Growth is one, product is another, content, design, kind of community, right? Um, and these are all allowing experts to share information, right? That could be playbooks, tools, latest and greatest, but it also allows us to be more decentralized in the way that we operate. Okay, so you're a growth marketer. Um, I I don't know Blake's background, but let's assume he's a growth marketer for purposes of the question. Yeah, you you aren't just offering growth marketing services to your clients. You're offering you know design, creative, like all the maybe brand strategy, that kind of stuff. How did you curate the community um, in a way so that you could find the diversity of experience to offer what would be like a full suite of products as as like a proper decentralized agency? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's really just like feedback from what the market wanted. You know, initially, especially during the bull market, a lot of folks wanted brand identity work, um, establishing a community, you know, building a social media presence. And I think that's a reflection of the influx of capital, influx of ideas, a lot of optimism, almost like too much optimism coming into the space. And then now in the bear market, a lot of the requests are like, demand generation, growth hacking, paid marketing, um, really kind of in the weeds, how do you grow a grassroots community? And so, you know, ultimately we ebb and flow with the market and um, and kind of meet the needs of the folks in crypto. So are you, I guess, are at this point, are you going out and finding people or are people finding you? Like, is it more inbound or outbound? in terms yeah. of like growing up mice. Yeah, luckily, uh, most of our applicants are referred. Um, we've mm-hmm. kind of established that culture and the the quality of what, who we're looking for. And then great, talented people know other great and talented people. Um, so yeah, that's typically how our fi- we find our new members. But initially, it was hard. You know, we had a ton of people apply. Um, and unfortunately, we're, we weren't able to select everybody. So... 
Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Having to tell people no is is one of the hardest things to do, right? Because they may be just talented, but there's just someone who's one notch above or something that they're doing specifically. Have you ever like um, actually like told someone no and then had them come back and been able to join as you guys grew? Yeah. So you keep those relationships. That's great. Yeah, totally. I think it's not skills aren't necessarily a like a sedentary thing or, or kind of a, a set number. It's really um, a measurement in time. And so I think it's important to really in any interview situation, but especially for Myosin, like get down to the intentions of that person, right? Why do you want to join? You know, we're definitely not a talent marketplace. So if you're expecting a quick freelance gig, this is just a terrible fit for you. Um, but if you're trying to join a community of co-owners, very, very different. And there, I, I would say there's a fair amount of patience and grace there um, to allow someone to grow in a safe environment with peers mm-hmm. um, versus kind of a, a much more cutthroat environment of like, you didn't meet, meet this number and off you go. You're just a 1099 employee. And by the way, we, we don't owe you anything. Um, so we're not, we're not that cutthroat in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it's more like a positive sum game. Like if you succeed, we succeed as opposed to the zero sum game of I'm the owner. If you don't help me succeed, you're out. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and I think a lot about this book. Um, I forget the name of the author, but, um, he wrote this book called, um, infinite finite and infinite games. And it really gets it like, you want to win the two t- 2023 NBA championships or do you love the game of basketball? Um, and I, the, the folks who really care about the game of cooperative economic stay, the folks who are care about like earning a living this month um, tend not to feel that this is the right fit for them. So do you, I guess, do you find that like a lot of your community members are in other communities as well? And so they're just kind of like a professional contributor in that sense? Yeah, I'd say professional hustler. Um, There's a certain degree of people, certain type of person who's satisfied with their nine to five, but still are unsatisfied with searching for more, like seeking more community or knowledge or just contribute more. And these are the types of people who join. Some people are full-time at places and other people are career freelancers or solopreneurs. And then other people are just DAO contributors. Um, and we welcome all of that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I guess you, you're the personas of the professionals working in this space are still kind of forming, right? I think oh, we yeah. have words for them, but you know, the, like these labels can be limiting. Um, there's a lot more to unpack there. What have you kind of learned from when you first started in terms of the persona breakdown? And it sounds like you started right around the euphoria level phase maybe, um, versus now. Yeah, that's a great question. I'd say, um, during wag me culture, it's very difficult to see why someone's bullish on something, but in a bear market, you pretty quickly tell why people stay. Um, and luckily I was able to see, participate in, uh, MCON, which is Meta Cartel's, um, Dow conference. And that was really the first purview into realizing that there's deep philosophies of why people operate DAOs. Um, and they could be diametrically opposed. Um, and so, you know, for me, just being able to have a, a frank and honest conversation with someone who doesn't necessarily see the same view as me 
right? Someone could be anarchist, libertarian, socialist, capitalist, post-late stage capitalist, you know, socialist, right? And, and, and everything in between, everyone has their own flavor for why they are in Web3. Um, so yeah, I, I think more succinctly, everyone's here because they think there's a better way. But what the better way is, is contingent upon what they believe in. And so, um, yeah, that's what I've noticed for sure. And especially in the DAO space, because it's a little bit more utopian than the other ones. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, I mean, that's something that I talk about a lot on the show is just like, what is, what is the right way? I think, you know, my theory is that the right way is for as many people as possible to take advantage of the incentive alignment and ability to uh, use the blockchain to you know, build a better world. Um, but, you know, then there's also people that think that the only way you can do that is by de decentralizing everything and right. recreating the whole world. And like, look, they're entitled to their opinions. I think the important thing that we need to facilitate is not to demonize anyone's opinion as right. long as it's well thought out. Um, how, yeah. how are you going about having those, those different conversations? Is that something you're participating in actively? Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, definitely plugged into more DAO operators and kind of comparing and contrasting what they're learning. Uh, cause I think we're all learning in the bleeding edge, but I think, um, the thing that I, as a, as a foundational first principles thing that I try to remind myself is, does this problem need decentralization as a solution? So for example, let's use the problem of traffic, like car traffic congestion versus city planning. If you use a centralized method of tracking traffic, you have a situation like the radio helicopter, um, you know, 1010 wins news type things, which there's one view and they're giving you a snapshot in time of what's stuck. But in 10 minutes time, that's like defunct information. You have something like Waze and all of a sudden everyone's giving real-time real feedback. It's constantly evolving and moving. That addresses the problem of congestion, right? Same, same thought for, you know, different thought. Imagine uh, urban planning. In a decentralized method of solving that solution, everyone's building a road to their own house. And eventually the whole earth is paved, right? It's like, oh, I need my road to the bathroom. My, my road to Walmart has to be direct. It cannot be any turns, right? This is the most decentralized way to build a road is my convenience, right? And then you have a more, um, I would say, efficient method of having people organize, you know, on a town square, which is there's a committee and everyone's different, has different views, an economist, a politician, finance person, right, community organizer. And they all say like, oh, how do we fit it within the broader grid and have people, you know, there's, there's more control and I think more um, speed with a, a centralized way to solve a problem. Yeah. So you have to, I guess, to summarize there, there is certain stuff that's better off centralized. Totally. Um, We're operating is, in business. You know, yeah. we, we can't necessarily, sorry to cut you off. We're not, we can't necessarily leave everything up for direct democracy votes. It would just slow us down incredibly. And we, we work in a competitive environment where speed kills. Um, but when it comes to things like surfacing the best strategies or tactics or emerging trends, decentralization is a huge advantage. You know, what most people see with, with uh, Discord or with Myosin is like, 
oh, you're just chatting online on, on some app that kids use uh, as gamers. What's really happening is we have 23 countries represented from 60 experts around the world and everyone's sharing information every day, every day. And they all have a shared financial incentive. So they're telling the truth. Like no one's trying to put one on someone else. Right. It's an incredibly powerful thing. And it's no different than ways, but it's marketing information. I love that. It's like the incentives are aligned here. Um, the, uh, I guess, intentions of the community have been vetted in a way uh, that allows everybody to keep coming back for the right reasons. Totally. Totally. So what, uh, what about like, uh, I, there's other decentralized service uh, organizations that I've, you know, encountered like VectorDAO and stuff like that. Um, I know you guys operate a little differently than, than they operate. Is there any differences that you want to point out that are, you know, unique to Myosin and or that you may still be developing? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, Myosin is different from a pure play service DAO in the sense that we are productizing our services. You know, we have an advantage as um, moon explorers or Mars explorers where we're going to be able to figure out what tools we need on Mars, right? And so as we become the pioneers um, who can share the best and brightest strategies of exploring Web3, we have an unfair advantage to build the products. And so our vision is to use our community treasury to fund a marketing uh, tool suite that anybody can use to accelerate the direct community movement. Interesting. By doing that, we're building things like imagine a HubSpot, you know, but what is the Web3 version of HubSpot? Well, you probably have airdrops, you have um, allow lists, you have bounty-based systems, you've got affiliate networks on chain, you have a different kind of analytics tool stack. It's very, very confusing for a Web2 marketer to enter Web3. And I'd say that's the biggest impediment to bringing more people to Web3 is the marketers are responsible for bringing people in. But if the tools suck, you just have a sandwich board outside Times Square. It just doesn't work. So that's interesting. Wow. So, okay. So we, we take uh, for the audience, if you don't know what HubSpot is, is marketing automation, but has been expanded into many different categories, including sales and stuff like that. They've kind of maintained a internal ecosystem, whereas, uh, you know, some other more specialized tools like Marketo or something like that is just marketing automation. Um, I, I would call them like maybe the Apple of that SaaS part of the, the community yeah. kind of develop yeah. that side. And so what you're saying is, is that you basically, and I, I share this opinion, by the way, you take uh, what someone's already doing, right? And then you augment it in a way that allows them to understand what these new, what Web3 can offer, right? Um, so you think like, okay, these there's unique ways, but then there's also ways that you can break it down to like PO apps and airdrops and, and like all these things that help yeah. that marketer do their job better. So totally. how do you make that a familiar experience? So you, you actually have the resources internally and the treasury to incentivize people to help you build solutions based on what you're learning in real time and your experience before Web3. Yeah, exactly. And I'll give you a perfect example. You know, yeah. at first we built this scavenger hunt NFT tool based as a fun little experiment to see if we can um, play around with email acquisition for NFTs. And what we've learned throughout our alpha tests is that this is the primitive for collecting Web 2.5 data, right? You've got 
on-chain things like wallet IDs, but then you have mm-hmm. off-chain things that mar- marketers are um, conven- like comfortable with, with it, which is an email address, a phone number, IDFA, right? Like CID, there's like millions of Web2 hooks. And I think the, the ability to bring normies into Web3 is easing that burden um, into the wallet-based world. Um, but it'll take Web2 hooks to get there. And so that's kind of the bridge that we're playing in is how do you enable marketers who don't fully understand Web3 stuff um, to use what they're familiar with, emails, messaging, you know, hooks into ad tech, et cetera, but do it in a way that introduces Web3 that's like fair, equitable, fun, uh, and rewarding for a consumer. Yeah, I think about like the silo breakdowns, right? That a lot of these SaaS platforms, like as I was, I, was, I sold Marketo for like three or four years. So like, I, I understand <laughs> what's that? Great product. It's a great product. It is. It's uh, it's really great. It was really easy to sell because it's like, it made sense, right? Like, hey, meet your customers where they are based on what they're interested in, what they've looked at, how they've engaged, what they've done before. Like, here's some more relevant content. Let's make you a better marketer, mm-hmm. right? And by the way, you can do this for all your customers too, because we just used our own solution to sell to you, Um, (laughs) which is, is, is kind of, I mean, so if you take that to web three, it's like, all right, you have this personal information, you have, um, you know, how this person engages with our website, uh, all this stuff, but then you add a level of intent data of like, what are they actually purchasing, uh, and taking the extra step, maybe, maybe what PO apps do they have in their wallet? And you have an even clearer picture. It actually like puts them in a better position. I guess, do you build the solution as a standalone and build the integrations through APIs to the existing marketing solutions? Are you picturing a world where this is the new standalone solution or maybe you don't know yet? Yeah, that's a great question. The, the frank and honest truth is we don't know yet. We're focused on largely the microservices that are the touch points with the consumer first. Um, and so we're looking at a browser-based app. We're looking at hyper, hyper-targeted local, um, you know, geo-fenced app like Blackbeard. Uh, we're looking at Discord, you know, some more like everyday uh, customer engagement touch points like Discord bots. And so we're just trying to figure out like where are the biggest pain points for marketers? And how do we stitch a user profile together that either is deployed into Web 2 or Web 3? Um, but we'll see. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So let's 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 uh, let's take a step back again. I I have not given your kind of experience of the overall market any highlight yet. I love to hear just you know from uh, you were early into the space for all intents and purposes. What are your big observations in terms of community and all of the other promises that Web3 has? Uh, and you know, where are you now? Where, where do you think we can start filling more gaps? Where are you seeing the biggest pain points uh, to this kind of mainstream of adoption that we're all kind of working towards? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think this is more symptomatic of the bull market, but it's it's it was relatively easy to build a community focused on financial incentives. Uh, but in a bear market, it turned into, like you were saying earlier, when, when mint or when, you know, when number go up community, and that's not any different than I would say in a way with the way that web two operates with direct to consumer. It's like 
almighty profit for the sake of it. Um, and the communities that last now through the bear and also the bull is like really tapping into this more tribal uh, sense of community where it's a deep connection with people on a shared vision and the financial upside happens to be one of the benefits. It's really the social um, sense of belonging on a global scale that I think uh, makes, makes the best communities thrive. So it's, how are you, I mean, I guess, how, how are we addressing that social like aspect of it? I mean, there are impact DAOs, there are public goods DAOs. Um, what are some of the ways that you've seen that be addressed? Cause I'm 100%, I'm, I'm with you. I think, you know, that's why I'm here, right? Cause I see that ability for people to express themselves and be more socially conscious, but also make a living. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, the best shining example is, um, Gitcoin. Right. They've given so many grants based on social initiatives. Um, plus, those social initiatives don't have to be inherently nonprofit oriented. Um, you know, I'll give an example. Superfest, which is a decentralized um, music festival uh, community. It's made up of musicians, uh, event organizers, etc. You know, they're they're looking at ways to involve the community to build an, an IP like a Coachella. And so it's just community led. It's not necessarily social impact led, although I'm sure, you know, socially, social impact oriented DAOs would do quite well with this um, Web3 structure. Yeah, I mean, I th- you, you do see that. You see stuff like LinkStyle too. Like they're not, there's sure. no social impact to buying a golf course. It's just a bunch yeah. of people who are super passionate about golf that are like, hey, it'd be really cool to own a golf course and I don't mind paying X number for this NFT that'll give me a right to be a member at this golf course. And yeah. they just did it, right? Like they, they bought a golf course in Scotland. <laughs> Crazy. I mean, it seemed like they bought it for a pretty cheap price um, compared to what the what they raised during the, the bull. Do you know if they're buying another course? I don't know if you remember or not. No, I, I, I talked to uh, my guests a couple of weeks ago uh, when we released this uh, was a that was his onboarding into Web3. I think What's a lot that? of people were on board it. Like a lot of my friends are like, hey, I don't know much about Web3, but I love golf. Did you hear about LinkStyle? And I'm like, yeah, I'm not joining. But if you like golf, go for it. You know, yeah. <laughs> very cool. Same idea with Krausehaus, right? Like a lot of NBA yeah. fans out there. Um, I know I have friends that are in, you know, agency world, um, do brand work, stuff like that, and haven't necessarily bought into the idea of owning a piece of digital art or joining a PFP community, but they're huge NBA fans. So when they see this collective going out there and like they're making real strides towards buying a minority interest in an NBA team, you you see, you see the magic. Yeah, totally. Yeah, Yeah. That's what makes us like. I think stay in the industry is like, literally we're disrupting ways that people work together. Yeah. It's like, it's like the great flattening is what I call it sometimes where Mm -hmm. you're just, you're kind of, you're kind of letting the, the true beliefs of people and the true values of people have their, their moment in the spotlight. Yeah. I mean, I I would say for sure from a, um, how a, a worker bee feels or middle management feels, but I almost feel like it's like a, I don't know what you call these things. They're like te- tetrahedrons or something. Remember chemistry class? They have like yeah. triangles, uh, yeah. multidimensional. Yeah. No one's necessarily above one another, but you still need a core. So it's mm-hmm. almost like centric circles or spheres, mm-hmm. you know? 
uh, or layers of a cake. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a different feel for sure. It is, you know, the more I, the more I think about it, I think about like these kind of grandiose, um, ideas that eventually we just kind of reorganize the way that, that people interact with each other. And that doesn't, I don't think that necessarily means that the way we're doing it now is the wrong way. Right. I think yeah. there's just a lot of ways we can improve. I, um, I, in fact, uh, when I teach web three, uh, to people, I use the, um, the, the picture of when, uh, Will Smith came on stage and hit Chris rock. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, look, like Chris rock got up. He's web, he's web two, right. Or, or non web three, if you want to expand it a little bit. Right. Yeah. But, but sometimes you need a nice sock in the face, uh, figuratively, ideally, um, <laughs> to actually like get up and realize, okay, maybe I need to switch it up a little bit and, uh, totally. think about how I could, can kind of better myself. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, again, it's, it's equanimity for the sake of it is great, but is it solving the right problem? Like does that problem need to be addressed with decentralization? And I think a lot of DAO, DAOs haven't thought of that um, earnestly enough. Yeah, I know. That's that. I mean, that is, that's the big question is like, what is, I mean, what is the real use case was a hot topic six months ago and probably now still too. Um, yeah. But, but more so like, people have to be incentivized to participate. And some people are okay being incentivized just by virtue of the social connection, but some people aren't. And yeah. that's not a problem. Now, should it rise to the level of when number go up? No, right? Like when moon? No, but like in your instance, you're paying people to work, right? right. Um, and, and they have a co-owner mentality in terms of how well they work, what projects they pick up and what they do. Like, mm -hmm. so you have to kind of like, it, even, even like, I think we talk a lot about meeting people where they are in terms of onboarding new people, but also keeping people around. Yeah, right? totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I see a lot of people that, um, you know, they get, they get burnt out. They come in, they join 50 discords, um, it's, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot to yeah, take in. It's, it's confusing. Like words, words like wallet is indoctrinated as, as one thing. But when you first hear about wallet as a normie, it's like, what do you mean my wallet? That's such a sensitive item on my, that's an everyday thing that I carry and no one asks me for my wallet, right? And yeah. they ask for credit card or payment information. Why are we calling it a wallet? That's so scary. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I love that. They, they, the wallet brings up another interesting point around breaking down silos, though. So like, regardless of what you call it, the ability to plug a wallet into multiple websites, allow that wallet to or allow that website to see what you have in your wallet brings a whole new like holistic picture of who that person is. Totally. Just call have it you, a safe. Call it yeah. a safe. It's a digital asset. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Or you could just call it a login. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So good. Um, are you, are you, when you're working with your clients, are you encountering any of the, um, like any of the terminology changes that you need to make and stuff like that? Like how, how do you go about it? Yeah, we're, we're a web 2.5 agency where we're, we're both working with, um, web two traditional agencies like, or brands like, um, Shiseido. And then we also work with 
Web3 native um, organizations like DAOs that, that are in the Solana space. Um, and so we play everything in between. So, you know, the Web3 natives don't necessarily need a glossary list, uh, whereas the clients are, you know, a little, need a little bit of handholding, but that's why we're here. What are, what are some of the big pain points that you see in the on both sides on each of them? Yeah, I, I think on the Web3 side, it's um, constantly battling this idea of feature bloat. You know, a lot of technical people are in love with the keys that they're building, but they don't realize that consumer need, consumers need doors to unlock. And so if the consumer doesn't want to enter that room, they don't really care about the key, special key. It's a cleaner key. It's more efficient. It's made out of brass. Like, I don't care. Right. And so that's educating on a you know product positioning, consumer psychology level. Whereas in the Web2 side, they've largely figured that out, and that's why they're giants in, the, in their industry. Um, but it's a very different way of working. And think about, let's say, um, CNN or, or, or Time Warner and telling them, hey, social media is going to be this thing. Like, what do you mean? I own like 90% of the cable network and TV. Imagine trying to convince them that like digital profiles from around the world and these things called influencers will end up on your TV screen because it's driving the news. You know, it's that kind of philosophical realignment of what technology is bringing. So it's really like disruption insurance, kind of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. A lot of our clients are in the digital innovation department where they're or emerging tech. They're like, okay, well, we have our, our legacy business, but this thing has the potential to completely upend how we work. Let's let's get a little closer. And so we help with that. That's awesome. So what other, I guess, general technologies are you or, or shifts are you seeing at the level of, of what social media has done? Yeah, um, there are some notable case studies uh, that have happened the last, last six months or so. Um, the one that I always point to is FWB partnered with, I think it was Remy Martin or Hennessy over um, last year's Art Basel. And basically what they did is instead of hiring an agency, they hired FWB and FWB and this liquor brand sold um, membership tickets to a luxury Web3 club. And their first event happened to be at Art Basel. Well, the notable thing is instead of one company paying the other, there was a token um, rev share. Hmm. So 34% of the NFTs that were sold were automatically sent over to FW, FWB's community treasury. So it's like a very different view of how a brand can activate a community because if the community has a shared upside, they also have kind of a shared voice in the table, um, which is, I think, different from, I think, some some how some services work. Yeah, that's interesting. So it's like automating partnerships uh, using smart contracts and blockchain technology. Um, but like before that could even happen, there's the foresight that FWB is a thriving community. It's one of the most, it's one of the earliest communities um, totally. out there. Um, and there wasn't a whole lot of structure other than being intentional, being referred, being interviewed when you came in. Um, yeah. It's really thriving. Are you a member of Friends with Benefits? I am a city member, not a global member. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. That's pretty cool. I, I've had some friends that have gone in there and been able to generate some business, right? Um, just by virtue of, of meeting people through there. And I think that's that's the big picture. Of the question is how many can we have, right? Um, I hope that there's a ton, um, yeah. but I don't, I don't know how many times that's been repeated. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it, it really, I do think that smaller communities probably will operate more effectively. It's just how people work. Mm -hmm. um, so I think about Web2 analogies. So, you know, in New York, you've got these huge mom uh, mom communities, which are mm -hmm. largely oriented towards personalities like influencers. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have smaller Facebook groups or IG groups that are by neighborhood. You have uh, Upper East Side moms, Tribeca moms, Brooklyn moms, by neighborhood. Jewish and moms of Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. Atlanta, very specific kind of recipe that uh, needs to be shared, you know, on Shabbat. So yeah. I think yeah, having having that having that level of specificity, I think, is important because um, that that really unlocks community quickly. Is there just brought a really interesting point? Is there anybody trying to enable these localized Facebook groups? to leverage Web3 technology to actually like make stuff happen together? That's a great question. I don't know of any, but that's a huge opportunity. That That's yeah. an enormous opportunity. Maybe we cut this part out of the show and go build it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Because you gotta think, they've, they've already got the mindset, they've got the shared values, they've all met each other in there. Um, look, is there a curation issue? Maybe sometimes, but that's why there's curators, right? Like my wife is wow. in charge of our local, our neighborhood's called Old Fourth Ward, right? She's in charge of that. And if someone comes in trying to post some, you know, I don't think I'd call it shilling in this sense, but something to the equivalent of shilling about something, she's like, no, it's not good. It's not going to happen. That doesn't yeah, help the community get stronger. Right. Hmm. Hmm. That is very interesting. Yeah, um, totally. <laughs> this has been awesome, man. Um, we're nearing the top of the hour and I wanted to uh, ask you my two traditional closing questions. Go for uh, it. The, the first one is, how do you describe Web3? Man, that's, that, that, that's a tough one. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, read, write, own, right? You, you go from participating... Uh, not only reading the content online to now contributing content as a social media person like person um, to now beginning to reorient websites and apps that you use that have more of a, an upside for you as an owner of your data or owner of your assets um, or owner of a shared piece of a community. So that just, you know, just like with social media, it changes the way that the, the internet, internet is organized. I'm going to ask a question I don't usually ask after this, but I'm interested. Um, what 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 does the term or world of Web three look like if it if it succeeds in your mind? Uh, network states. Yeah. Right. Big. If you read like Balaji's thing, yeah, it's it's like sure I live in the United States, but I really resonate with people who live in suburban environments in tier one cities that have access to culture, right? So it doesn't necessarily have geographic borders. It's just cultural borders or it's interest-based borders. And then you have this sub community that's not necessarily bound by space or time. I love that. 
I love that. Um, the last question is forward looking, which kind of yeah. relates to what you were just talking about is, you know, in an, in the, in the future six to 12 months, where do you see yourself and this space and then five to 10 years, where do you see yourself in the space? That's a great question. I'd say, um, six to 12 months we'll, we'll have minted our first on-chain reputation score. We've been very careful about doing that since obviously want to promote good behavior and not necessarily um, ostracize bad behavior. Um, so that'll be really exciting and unlock the next phase of growth for Myosin. I'd say four to five years from now, I want to write a book about this experience. And I, you know, I'm starting to look for books to read, to be inspired and watch out for potential pitfalls. And it's phone conversations, it's no books. So I think there's a big opportunity to share the knowledge of what I've um, accumulated uh, into something that other people can read. I'll read that book. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome, man. Well, Simon, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I've enjoyed this whole conversation and uh, look forward to, to building with you, man. I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to connect all the time in the future. So appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to Web3 with me. If you enjoyed the show and want to help us grow, please hit the subscribe button on YouTube or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to connect with me personally, you can find me on Twitter at Zach underscore French underscore.